Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Um, I don't think I said this, so I will now. My name is, uh, is Steve Warner, and I'm blessed to serve as the lead pastor here at, uh, at CCWC. And we are working through a series right now uh, called This We Believe. And if you missed the first couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to, to jump on our website. You can watch uh, the sermons or the, the series uh, pieces that you've missed so far. This week, as we travel through the Trinity, we uh, pause to examine and explore uh, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, or Jesus Christ, the one that came to earth, the one that came into our midst. I can probably, just like many of you who have given your heart to Jesus, can remember the moments or the moment when, uh, that conversion moment when you gave your heart to Jesus. My, my conversion moment came uh, in, in a church, but no less, uh, there were moments beyond that, steps forward that took place in life and uh, in different activities and different actions, and one of them was actually at a youth camp as well. I remember youth camp growing up. Um, actually, I remember some of you from youth camp growing up. It's interesting that I went to uh, the district camp here in Ohio and met some of you uh, long before I was an adult. In fact, um, Pastor Dave, I don't know if you're still in here. I remember Pastor Dave, uh, youth pastor, here while I was at camp when I was in high school. So it's been a couple of years ago. But youth camp was an interesting... You can laugh, I guess. I don't know. Youth camp was an interesting time. It was a time uh, of growth. It was also a time of having fun uh, with activity. It was a time where you would gather with friends from your own church and meet new friends from other churches. I remember sitting and, and having um, conversation, especially with the, the members of my church, as we uh, put together plans of how we were going to try to win the, the games whenever there was a um, an outdoor game, or we would go through recreation. I remember sitting at the table and, and discussing uh, who uh, a friend of mine might have a crush on, or who uh, we were going to uh, to try to befriend that year and maybe invite to join our team because we saw the athletic ability of one Tyler Thomas or somebody else uh, from another church. But I do remember specifically one year uh, that, that stands out above many others, where we're sitting at a table, and I was still fairly young in middle school, and it was in the dining hall, and I'm sitting with a group of my friends, and the night before, in fact, in the morning rally, the, 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 uh, the evangelist actually had everybody stand up, and as he said, okay, how many of you got eight hours of sleep or less? If you got eight hours or more, you'd have to sit down. He went all the way down, and at the end, at the end, he said, how many of you didn't go to sleep? Now, let me just tell you, uh, youth students are in the room. If you haven't experienced this or anybody else, um, go to sleep, especially the first night at camp. It will be good for you to get rest while you're at camp. But that first night, we chose to stay up all night. And so at the end of these questions that the evangelist was asking, he said, how many of you didn't sleep at all? We were the only ones, just our row, that was still standing. And so we kind of stood out. We stood out, obviously, to the evangelist as he laughed and kind of made a joke and told us we could sit down and get some rest, right? Don't sleep during the sermon, whatever, which is a good practice. Don't sleep during the sermon. You can even do that as adults, right? But this, uh, this standing out 
for some reason, brought just kind of a a little bit of notoriety to the evangelist. And I remember that meal as we sat there and we were chit-chatting, we were talking, we were kind of laughing, just to kind of, you know, first night, or second day, I should say, after the first night of staying up all night, kind of smelly teenagers sitting there at the table. And the evangelist comes over and he sits down and he began to talk to us. Now, for us, obviously, this was a big deal, a camp of several hundred kids. The evangelist took time to come and sit. He pulled up a chair and sit and talk with us. Like, why would we matter? Why would he even care? Why would he spend time to sit down and discuss anything with us? And he discussed the weather to start with. He discussed some of the games, how we liked the camp. But eventually, he got down to what mattered most, and he asked us about our relationship with Jesus. And I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe that this guy cares enough with all the people that are here to sit down. Yeah, he comes and he preaches on the stage and he talks, but he, he came and he talked to us about Jesus. And he talked to us about this Jesus that came to earth, who was actually God, right? He came to earth in bodily form. He entered into a world. He, so to speak, pulled up a chair to the table for each one of us and said, let me tell you there's a greater way. Let me tell you there's purpose in life. Let me show you that I love you. You can experience real and lasting love. And that love goes beyond what you can experience here on earth. We're walking through this, we believe, this series as a means to examine Scripture, to explore the the Nicene Creed, the, the Apostles' Creed, the Wesleyan Articles of Faith and Religion, so that we might either remember or experience for the first time what true doctrine is. Because there's a lot of opinions out there, but there's only one absolute truth. And that absolute truth is rooted in Scripture, and today as we discuss this absolute truth, we're going to walk through a specific passage that explores who Jesus was and what he was about. Today we discuss the Son, the the Wesleyan Discipline Articles of Faith, chapter, uh, excuse me, paragraph 214 reads like this, we believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, truly God and truly man. He died on the cross and was buried to be a sacrifice both for original sin and for our human transgressions and to reconcile us to God. Christ rose bodily from the dead and ascended into heaven and there intercedes for us at the Father's right hand until he returns to judge all humanity at the last day. Now, Nicene Creed is, is much like it, a little more brief in this like. It says, And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, God of very God, begotten, not made, but of the same substance or essence in spite of difference in aspect. Meaning that he's not necessarily created, he's of the same essence of God the Father, and therefore on the same level, so to speak. How do you picture Jesus? What picture comes to mind when somebody asks the question or when the name Jesus comes up? Is it that iconic picture that hung on the wall maybe at your home or at your grandparents' home or a friend of Jesus that was painted with the long flowing hair? 
that profile picture where they say, hey, Jesus, can you just pause for a minute and we get a snapshot of you? People are going to love this. I'll tell you what. Is Jesus more of an abstract picture to you? Maybe not necessarily a person, but this, this thought of unconditional love or someone uh, uh, that would, would walk with you, talk with you? Let me tell you, the picture that you have of Jesus, consciously or subconsciously, or maybe a mixture of both, dictates who you believe he is, what power he has, what bearing he has in your life, what impact he has in your life and the people around you. Today we're going to explore four specific questions. Four questions. The first one is, did Jesus exist? Did Jesus exist? The second one is, who was Jesus? Right? Who was Jesus? This person that we claim to to follow, this person that we claim uh, to, to listen to his teaching and we read about him in scripture. The third question is, what was Jesus like? Was he just a robot? Was he like you and me? Was Jesus one that would talk above our heads or that would say things that we wouldn't fully understand? Was Jesus a guy that when we ask a question, you just break into song and give us the song and dance? And then finally, the last question is, so what? If Jesus existed, if Jesus was who he says he was, if, if Jesus, uh, you know, was, was, what was he like? You know, if that question has any bearing, so what? Meaning, what does it matter? Why does it matter in our life? Why does it matter today that Jesus lived? Why does it matter for me, for you, that Jesus impacted life? Why does it matter that Jesus is who he says he is? We're going to explore chapter, or Matthew chapter 16 today. Matthew chapter 16 is an interesting passage. As Jesus is walking through his ministry, Matthew is recording the different things that Jesus did, the, the signs that, that, uh, that he, he talked about, the, the, the interaction he had with the religious leaders, the miracles that, that he was able to engage in, the, the things that he brought to life. And in fact, Matthew also records the interaction that Jesus had with his closest, his disciples. Interestingly enough, the disciples, though they walked with Jesus, didn't always have all the answers. They didn't know everything. They asked questions. They engaged with this person, Jesus. And for us, that's an exciting thing because guess what? We don't have to have all the answers either. In fact, in a lot of ways, this, this, this illustrates the relationship that Jesus wants with us is for us just to continue to engage with him in, in, in questions, in conversation, in just being present with our God. And so in chapter 16, we, we look at this idea, this concept, this uh, necessity of, of Jesus engaging a question that he asks upon his disciples. And as he walks through it, he kind of explains or answers his own question. Chapter 16, starting in verse 13, reads like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Perhaps you've asked this question before. Perhaps someone's asked it of you. Perhaps you've thought this question. But Jesus is being very direct. Who do people, who do people around you suggest or understand Jesus to be? Sidebar, side note, in many cases, people are going to understand who Jesus is through the people who claim to be Christ followers or Jesus' followers. And so I'll ask just a, a quick rhetorical question based upon your life, your words, your actions. Who do 
people think Jesus is. Verse 14 continues, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And here Jesus says, okay, I I ask questions and you kind of given me a Sunday school answer. Let's make this a little more personal. Verse 15, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And perhaps we could pause here and take a moment and have even a small group time or an opportunity for you to share with with a friend or a spouse or whoever you came in with today or whoever you're sitting by today or whoever you're sitting with at home today. Who do you say Jesus is? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This wasn't necessarily controversial. In fact, the question, did Jesus exist, isn't a controversial question. The question of whether or not Jesus walked this earth, whether or not Jesus was a person, is not necessarily controversial. Mark 8 records the same question, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? They're not necessarily asking Jesus the question of who, you know, first established the world or, or if you are of God. Instead, it's merely, is there a Jesus? There's little debate, in fact, on whether or not Jesus existed. Some of you might be superhero uh, buffs. I, I, I know right now we are living in the golden age of superhero movies. I am not really a fan. Please, if you are a fan, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike them. I'm just not intrigued by special effects and all that kind of thing. But there are, are countless movies of, of superheroes that do great things, that come along, that are here. And, and make no mistake, the world in many cases has this, this, these blinders on, in some cases, or this mixing of truth truth and, and, um, and, and, and fantasy in a lot of ways where sometimes there's even some forgetfulness on what actually took place, who actually existed, and who didn't. There is no Superman. There was no Superman who walked around with a cape and an S on his chest, but there was a supernatural man, and his name was Jesus. You don't have to throw away history, in fact, to have faith. Just looking at Scripture alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record their historical accounts of Jesus' life and who he was. Many of them have, have, have stories of, of, of what he did. Paul is another one who has written about Jesus much of the New Testament that we have, the letters that he wrote to the church. He, he turned from a life of, uh, of being one to try to eliminate the way to being a total sold-out follower of Jesus. Peter, another one, that, that Jesus at one point, in fact, we're, we're even going to talk about this today, he, he gave him the keys. He said, look, I'm going to build my church upon you, the rock. James claimed to be half-brother of Jesus, one that followed him. Yes, he, he's in my, my lineage, my line. I know him. All of these, these, these books, for the most part, were written within about a 20-year span about this Jesus when he wasn't necessarily far from, from memory, but he was certainly something that was the talk of the town. Okay, all right, I, I get you. There's probably people that are here today, people that are, that are watching online that might say, well, that's great, I understand that, thank you, but you, you're using the Bible to prove the Bible. Give me something else, right? 
Well, how about Clement of, of Rome or Ignatius of Antioch? Both claims of, of this person of Jesus. Or Polycarp, maybe uh, Josephus from 90 A.D., who speaks of Jesus, the man who walked, the man with, that brought forth uh, a great ruckus. Even modern-day atheists claim there was a Jesus. Because there's no harm in claiming that there was actually a man named Jesus that lived in the first century, that walked around, that had a following. Wow. There was a man named Jesus. You don't have to throw out intellect. You don't have to throw out history. You don't have to throw out any of your belief system, no matter where you stand, to believe that Jesus even existed. In fact, the historical Jesus is actually widely accepted. And I'm going to give you the easiest fill-in-the-blank ever, if you're, if you're following along in your note guide, the easiest fill in the blank ever, did Jesus exist? The answer is yes. And if you want to argue about that, I'd love to meet you, with you this week. I'd love to have the conversation. It's not going to be a, hey, let me try to prove you wrong. But I will share and express and, and, and uh, reflect upon the words of more than just believers. The question isn't, did Jesus exist? The big question or the conflict comes from a place of not that he existed, but the claims that he made while he existed. Get this for a minute. Jesus is remembered, obviously, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the church that continues to grow and all those things, but also because of the the outlandish things that Jesus said and did. Who was Jesus? Picking up in verse 17, it says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In the order of the disciples, then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Interesting words by Jesus here, not necessarily the exact things that he stated, although they are very interesting if you're to look at the, the context of what he's doing and, and this handing over the keys. But right, right in the midst of that, as we read between the lines, we can't help but realize that Jesus talks with some authority that a human being can't have. A human being alone, a, a created being, doesn't have the authority to talk about the engagement that the, that, that the, the person of Jesus has with the Father. A human being doesn't have the authority to hand over the keys of the kingdom to, uh, to Peter or to the, to the apostles at that point. In fact, a human being doesn't have the authority uh, to, in engaging of this idea of the Messiah to say, look, I have any power over this earth at all. The passage alone reveals that Jesus was a special human being with the power to bless power to reveal and even grant the keys of the kingdom to those, uh, to the care of those disciples that are in his midst. Let me read this longer version of the Nicene Creed. It says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the one Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one is being, one in being with the Father, through him all things were made for us man or for us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the, of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in the glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. That doesn't sound like just a regular human being to me. That doesn't sound like just a, a good man that walked around, that had some followers, that ruffled the feathers of the government and those that were around. Instead, that sounds like somebody who has some power, some supernatural power. The claim that Jesus made was that he himself was God. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm a vessel of God, I'm a prophet. Jesus was saying, I am God. Now, this was scandalous in that time like it is now. It was mind-blowing for them to, to be there for this. Oh, the Messiah is actually here. You know, we've been waiting, we've been watching out, and all of a sudden, oh, he's, he's here walking with us. In fact, he just kind of wandered in. He's washing feet. What's going on here? But this guy, this, 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 this healer, this one that came, there's something about him. And then all of a sudden he says, I'm basically, just so you know, I'm God. That's a big deal. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 has this concept of understanding that, wait a minute, if you're God, how are you walking around? How are you here with us? In, in chapter 2, it reads like this. Philippians chapter 2 says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, by taking, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So there to start, being in the very nature of God, and then jumping down, being in the very nature of human likeness. One man, two very distinct natures. He was fully God, and he was fully human. Now, real quick, just four pillars that, that go along with this. One, he was, th this doctrine is important. Fully God and fully man without confusion. There's no confusion of role or there's no confusion of accountability. Obviously, God the Father came uh, in, in, or God came in human form in God the Son, sent by God the Father, and in so doing had to live in a human vessel just like we have. Number two, without change. Though God came to earth in the person of Jesus, he was not changed. There was no blemish. He was perfect in all aspects. He was great. He had all the power. No change. Without division, he was both in human nature, fully human, and in godly nature, fully God. There was no division, no divide. He was both. And then finally, without separation. In coming to earth, Jesus didn't then step away from the Trinity and say, okay, I'm going to do my own thing, or now it's time for me to step away and, and, and be my own person. No, he was still in perfect harmony with the rest of the Trinity, the Godhead that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Jesus experienced everything it meant to be human besides sin, and everything it meant to be God in being the very person of God. Get this, no other religion, no, no other religion in, in the history of the world claims that their God saw the brokenness of the creation, saw the brokenness of the world, and decided to leave the throne, decided to leave the place of, of high uh, esteem and come into, step into the world 
in brokenness, in darkness, and bring forth a remedy, bring forth a way. All other religions look towards this opportunity to be able to try to earn our way or try to do the best that we can to bring ourselves to a place where we can be in the presence of whatever God is being served or whatever God is being subscribed to. Instead, God the Father, the one true God, sent Jesus to come into this world to show us the way, to be our remedy, to be our atoning sacrifice. He's the creator who stepped into creation. He's not a distant God. He's a loving God. So who is God? Jesus, as he steps into this, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus was a powerful man and a personal God. Get that? He's a powerful man and a personal God. And the awesome thing about him being a powerful man is that, as it says in Philippians, he made himself a servant. So he even took that power and he laid it down because of his love. All right, question three. And this is where it's going to start getting a little bit uh, more exciting. This is where it starts to get really good. What was Jesus really like? We've established that he was a, a man, that he did exist. We've established that what his claims were, that he is 100% God, he's 100% man. But what was he really like? Have you ever met a celebrity before? Anybody in here ever met a celebrity? I have not really met any real celebrities, not really in a personal sense. I do remember one time I was uh, in a, uh, on a mission trip um, in, in uh, Jamaica, and I remember being uh, at, a, at a place where there was a lot of people. It was kind of like a market. There was a, a lot going on. And I saw somebody that I recognized. And uh, I was, um, I think I said this last week, I'm an Ohio State fan. And I was, um, I was kind of, um, I was a little bit standoffish because I thought, okay, first of all, uh, this person might not be the person I think it is. Number one, it's the worst ever when you walk up to someone and you're like, hey, how are you? Oh, you're not who I thought. Okay. Um, and that with masks, that was really tough, right? I walk up to people at Walmart, hey, how are you doing? Good. Who are you? You know? Um, and at the same time, I was a little bit nervous because if it is the person I think it is, then hey, I, um, I, don't, I don't know what I would say. Uh, you know, they're, they're a star, they're in the limelight. Well, let me just say that the person was um, none other than uh, Nishan Coleman, which most of you probably never heard of him before because he was a bench player for Ohio State basketball. But I remember seeing him and thinking, wow, you know, I, I would, I'd love to talk to this guy. And so I, I walked up to him, and I had an Ohio State hat on at the time. And so I walked up to him, and I was like, hey, I'm a fan. You know, you guys had a great year. And uh, they did, actually, in, in 99, they, they went to the Final Four. And so I, I talked with him for a little bit, and, and he, uh, he was really kind, and he, he even signed my hat for me. I remember talking with him and thinking, man, that was, uh, that was interesting. He was just kind of down to earth, just a normal guy. And it's funny because anytime you, you meet somebody, a celebrity, and you tell the story about the time you met so-and-so, you know, I met Bob Hope or I met, I don't know who you've met. The question that it's always asked is, what are they like? Right? Because you see their persona on TV or you see it on the field or on the court or you see it on the big screen. You see their persona. What are they really like? What are they really about? Right? And some of us have been asked the question, either directly or indirectly, hey, you know this Jesus. So I've heard you talk about him. I know you go to church. What is Jesus really like? 
Perhaps you've been asked the question, maybe indirectly or directly, and, and you've answered the question, what is Jesus really like? Let me just say, I, I, I've, read, um, I've read a lot about Jesus in Scripture and, and alike. And he's an anomaly in a lot of ways. But his nature and his character is without question wrapped in love. Perhaps you've heard the story about, about Zacchaeus, the historical account of Zacchaeus' life. If you grew up in church right now, you're starting to sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And I don't think you can say that anymore, but hey. If you didn't grow up in church and you want to know about the rest of the song lyrics, I'll, I'll sing it for you later. But basically, it's the story of, of Zacchaeus, and he is a tax collector. And let me just tell you, the reason tax collectors were such uh, a, a, a hated um, subculture in that time is not necessarily because they came and collected the taxes, it's because they were traitors, or they were seen, they were viewed that way. The, 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 the Roman government would come and they would take someone who knew everybody else's secrets, including where they hid their money. And so they would come and they would, they would elect a tax collector and they would recruit them and they would bring them in and say, okay, you're going to collect taxes and whatever you can gain over and above the taxes that are due, that's for you to keep and that's what you can do. And so Zacchaeus was one that not really a lot of people liked. He was one that in his own town, they would look at him and, and just, just assume scoff at him or spit at him or look the other way. But word came that Zacchaeus, to Zacchaeus and the rest of the town that Jesus was coming into their town. He was, first of all, let's get that. Jesus was coming to them. He was, he was entering into their world. But Jesus was coming into their town, and Zacchaeus, being smaller in stature, wanted to see, uh, but, uh, but he couldn't. There, it, was, it was like one of those really big parades where there was people that were three and four uh, uh, layers deep just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. And so he climbs up this, this tree, this sycamore tree. And Jesus, the one that came into the town, he, he comes in and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And he says, hey, uh, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? You know, I'm down here. I can remember a time they tried to build this tower to get up to me. You don't have to do that anymore. I came down to you, right? Why don't you come down? I, I'm getting hungry. I want to eat at your house. And this would have been just as scandalous as him saying he was God because here the one who came, the one who heals, the one who's all-powerful is telling this tax collector, I want to sit and dine with you. And so as the historical account goes on, Jesus goes to this Zacchaeus' house and Zacchaeus is there and they're dining together. And Jesus, get this, Jesus, who is Jesus? What is he like? Jesus pulls up a chair to the table of the tax collector and just like all of us in a post-Jesus resurrection and, and ascension world know, Jesus came for Zacchaeus just like he did each one of us. The flesh and the heart beat, and, and, and he came to this place where God pulls up a chair through the person of Jesus to the table of sinners. Not a judgmental God, not a God that takes the, the fun out of everything, but a God who says, I love you where you're at. But a God that also says, I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you where you're at. It's interesting, this, 
dichotomy of, of grace and truth and how it plays a role. In verse 21, uh, the, the passage goes on. It says, From this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he said, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now get this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. As if to say, first of all, Peter was like, hey, you know what? This isn't in my plan. This isn't what we're going to do. In fact, God, you came, or Jesus, you came, and and, and you're going to build this kingdom, and I'm going to be somebody finally. And and Jesus looks back and says, or Peter continues, says, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Have you ever said, uh, Jesus, here's what I want? Kind of said, this is the way that it's going to be. This might be the response. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. There's an exclamation point there. I'm not going to yell into the microphone, but you can imagine. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The reality here is we see this dichotomy. We see these two elements. We see the fact that Jesus sits, he pulls up a chair at the table of sinners, revealing and experiencing and giving grace. But at the same time, just as we see in his concept here with Peter, that he doesn't just sit there and allow sin to fester, but instead he also brings truth. So who is Jesus? What is he like? Jesus is the originator and the distributor of both grace and truth. This balance of saying, I love you. I've given my life for you. Jesus is more interested in in seeking and saving the lost than than preserving religious customs. But at the same time, there's this religious pursuit. There's this pursuit of relationship with him, engaging in deeper truth. It's a perfect storm because we see these two things come together, but, but make no mistake, Jesus, he gives us grace in the midst of understanding of what truth really is. So what? So what? what why, why does it even matter? Why, why on earth would it matter that, that God, even if it is God in, in bodily form, in Jesus Why does it matter that he came to earth? Why does it matter that Jesus died? Why does it matter that he is who he says he is? Why does it even matter that Jesus did the things that he said he did? Verse 24 reads like this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
The bottom line, the so what, reads like this. God never lowered the bar of truth. He lowered himself so that we could experience grace and truth. Did Jesus exist? Yes. That's widely accepted. Was he the son of God? Was he uh, 100% God, 100% man? As we walk through this, if he wasn't, then none of this would work. What was he like? He was one that brought forth an understanding of what grace really is through the establishment of what absolute truth really is. And then finally, he was the one, he was the way, he was the one that brought an opportunity for us to experience real life, to experience new life, rebirth. Two takeaways really to look at in this. The first one is God did this for you. God saw the mess that we were in. God sees the mess that we are still in. And he engages by stepping into this world through the person of Jesus. And now for us, as we wait for Jesus to return, experiencing the Holy Spirit who came after his ascension. Second takeaway is God did this for others. And he wants to use you to help them experience it. We should approach one another with compassion. We should approach one another with grace and truth the same way that Jesus did. Look, the model is perfect. Sometimes the vessel might fall short. Sometimes we as the vessel might not do everything or might not fully understand, but the model is perfect. Compassion, let me just say this. Compassion is not condoning. It's not saying, hey, you know what? You're struggling. That's okay. Just keep on doing it. No, that's not what it is. It's still raising the high bar. It's still helping people to understand, experience it. In fact, how, how little or how, how little could you love someone or how much could you hate them to let them just continue to live in sin? I think what's, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but I think what's, what's lost in our culture more than anything else as it pertains to, to living out this experience with Jesus is we stop pulling up a chair. In fact, next week, even if you you look in your bulletin, we're we're trying to attempt here at the church to create opportunities for us to be able to engage with neighbors and friends and family. And on the back of the the note guide, we're talking about block parties and how we're going to experience an opportunity or facilitate opportunity for you to to bring your neighbors in. I I will say this today. There are people in your neighborhood, people that that, that lay their head down on the pillow in the house right next to you or the apartment that that is just connected to your, your apartment that don't know Jesus. That youth camp preacher who I remember coming and sitting down, I don't remember much of what he said from the platform. And not because I wasn't listening, but what I remember is the action that he took to pull up a chair to our table. And there was something about that action of compassion for him to pull up a chair to the table that led me to be more open to listening and being open to what the Spirit had to say. God used him as a vessel. So as we conclude this service, as we kind of transition this service, I want to, I want to, I want to close with an opportunity for a physical response. And I want to be very clear. You, you can come and you can pray at any time. This is a moment where if you have a need, you can come and pray. But two specific things I want to ask for to respond to today if the Spirit is calling you. The first one is this. As I said, this is a, 
This is a personal response first, meaning that if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this grace and truth, if you have not allowed him to pull a seat up to the table because you got, you know, all the seats are filled or you've, you've, got it, you've got too much going on or you're too busy or maybe you're not even sitting down at the table, whatever it might be, this is for you to experience him for the first time. If you don't know Jesus, in just a moment as we sing, I want to encourage you to come and kneel at the altar and accept him for the first time. It's not an experience where, okay, you have to have all the Bible memorized. You have to know all the right prayers or what to do and how to do it. Instead, it's a, it's a response to the Spirit pulling on you, tugging on your heart. Experiencing the reality that you are a sinner, knowing you're a sinner, you're turning from that and you're making Him the Lord of your life as you move through this life. And I know that can be a difficult step, but it'll be the best one you ever make. You can approach God with confidence. We, we can approach him with confidence knowing that Jesus already stepped out of heaven, already came to us, already made the first step. I mean, you look, read Hebrews 4, for instance, talks about how Jesus in all aspects came into the world and by doing so broke all barriers, destroyed any walls, anything that stood in the way from us engaging with our God. But here's the second part of the, of the response. If, if you know someone or if there's somebody in your life, maybe a family member or a friend, somebody that, that the Holy Spirit has placed on your heart that doesn't know Jesus. Perhaps the Spirit is calling you to step out on their behalf, to intercede, to pray on their behalf this morning for them. And I know that not everybody can come to the front. I know that there's, even if we all attempted to, there's not even enough space up here. So maybe some of you might end up praying in your seats or kneeling at the, at the, at the chairs that are in the front. That's fine as well. But what I, what I will say today is that the Spirit is leading you step forward because He's got plans. We don't always know what they are. We don't always see what they are. But when we're obedient, we unleash His power because we get out of the way. At least our agenda gets out of the way. So this morning, I'm, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to transition into a time of, of song and response. If you want to come and experience Jesus for the first time, if you want to experience him afresh and anew, come to the front and pray. At the same time, if you have someone, a burden for someone on your heart right now, and you want to lift them up before God, that they might experience Jesus in a way that you have experienced Jesus, I want to encourage you to come to the front and pray as well. If you're joining us online, maybe it's just as easy as, as bowing right where you're at, hitting your knees and just praying for God, for, to God to intervene, for God to touch, for God to guide. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment knowing that your word is true, knowing, God, that your son did walk this earth, that, that you engaged our world that you brought forth a way, that you brought forth an opportunity for us to be able to know you and grow in you. And I pray, God, today here in this place that we would not reject that, that we would not be fearful or have a, have a spirit of timidity, but instead, God, we would step forward with excitement, with reckless abandonment, saying yes to you and however you call us to do so. God, I pray for new hearts, for those in this room that maybe don't know you or that are still struggling in their faith and understanding. God, you can fill in the gaps in a way that we could never do intellectually or we could never do as we attempt to try to draw upon our own knowledge, but only in a way where you can fill in the blanks, where you can give us the understanding. 
May we be open. May we be obedient. And God, we lift up those that don't know you, that you've placed on our heart. God, I pray that you would touch. I pray that you would guide. I pray that you would help us to be the vessel when you want us to. And you help us, Father, to simply lift them up when there's nothing else to do. We love you, Father. We put this time in your hands, just like any other. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.